0: And would you please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 17 with me this morning. Now, we're approaching the end of our series on the book of Revelation. And as we come to the 17th chapter, we concluded the 16th chapter with the final battle that takes place where the Antichrist, and where his forces will do battle with the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to chapter 17, once again, we find a part of the passage that isn't chronological. As Westerners, we have linear thinking. We always think in terms of chronology, and that's very important to us. What we find in Scripture and the Eastern mind is something quite different they often will go thematically. They may introduce a thought or a topic, but then they will come back and sort of drill down on that topic and help us to understand an important player that maybe they didn't discuss at length earlier. That's the case as we come to this part of the passage, chapter 17. And what we're going to find is the rise of a one-world religion. Now, when we find the language of chapter 17, we find it to be descriptive and poetic language. It's language that has a deeper meaning than just the surface of what's being discussed. And that's been the case throughout the book of Revelation. Pictures are given to help us grasp an important concept. And certainly that's the case as we come to chapter 17. But the beauty of chapter 17 is this first there is the picture that is given us, then there is the explanation of the picture. That doesn't always happen when it comes to our studies and prophecy. But this is such an important topic such an important thing for us to understand, that I believe the Word of God gives us a little extra light on this text so that we can grasp the principles and the precepts of this passage. Now, what we're going to see with this one-world religion is this. There is going to be a religion that comes into prominence during the tribulation that will be used by the Antichrist, the beast, to promote his agenda, it's going to be a religion that will spread and sweep throughout the world, and many in the world will embrace it. But what we're going to see is this, there will come a point where this religion no longer serves the purposes of the Antichrist, and the Antichrist and his followers will turn on this religion and will wipe it out. So this is the story of this one-world religion. And what we begin with as we look at this text is, first of all, a picture of this one-world religion. And the picture of it isn't too flattering, okay? Notice as we come to this first verse of chapter 17, it says this, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now, as we come to the first part of this passage, we find that this is going back in time. One of the angels that dispensed judgments upon the earth, described as seven bowls earlier in the 16th chapter, is the angel that comes and shares this vision with John. And what this angel shares is... First of all, the picture of a great prostitute seated on many waters. Now, again, this is prophetic language. This doesn't mean that this is a literal prostitute sitting in a boat on the water. These images give us a picture of the character and the nature of what is about to be discussed because when we find the term prostitute, it immediately engenders a picture for us of an immoral person of someone who sells themselves for sexual favors. It's a picture that isn't too flattering. When we look throughout Scripture, we find something else about prostitutes. Prostitution was often a picture, an image, of one's viewpoint toward God if you abandoned the one true God and pursued religions that would often engage in immorality, the followers of God who would leave God to go follow these false religions in biblical times were often people who were described as going to prostitutes or even prostituting themselves. So, to the ancient mind, this picture of This world religion, pictured as a prostitute, is very apropos. It is a picture of people who are going and buying in to a system that stands opposed to the one true God. And this prostitute being seated on many waters is explained for us a little bit later in the passage. If you go down to verse 15, verse 15 explains what is introduced to us in verse 1. And it says this, The angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So here's the idea. The bulk of the world during the tribulation is going to buy into a one-world religion that is very much opposed to God and that buys into a certain kind of a system of thought. Go back to the second verse of the 17th chapter, and notice the alliance that this prostitute has with the political leaders of the world. Verse 2 says that this prostitute who is seated on many waters is one with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those sexual uh, sexual immorality, the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. So, the idea is this, this one-world religion will be something that draws a lot of people in. Political leaders will follow it because that's what the people are following, and isn't that what political leaders do? Political leaders will often kind of moisten a finger, hold it up to the wind, which way is the wind blowing? Okay, I'm on board right? That's what's going to go on here. These leaders, these rulers will buy into this false religion, and the entire world, this will be such an appeal that the whole world is going to buy into it and follow this false religion that has nothing to do with God's truth, but everything to do with a man-made one-world religion. Now, attempts have been made to try and identify this one-world religion. We don't know. We can't identify a particular religion. And I would submit to you that there's a great possibility that it's going to be a blending of many religions. They'll take a piece here, they'll take a piece there, they'll blend it together into something that everybody can compromise on, and they'll all come together and say, this is our religion. But let me share this with you. You can't choose what is right by vote. The majority does not necessarily mean that you're on the right path. As a matter of fact, when we look in Scripture, the opposite seems true, doesn't it? The majority often gets it wrong. This will certainly be true in this time when this one-world religion becomes something that is destructive, something that draws people in. One that causes the dwellers of the earth to almost be described as drunk. Because everything that this one world religion says will feed their pride and their desire for sin. And it's going to be something where they look and they say, I've been waiting on this. I'm ready for this. I so want to experience this. This is what's going on at this time something else. As we continue in the passage, we come to the third verse. and As we come to the third verse, we're going to see a partnership between this one world religion and the beast, also known as the Antichrist. And what we're going to see is this, there will be an intense disregard for God, in fact, not only a disregard, but an animosity toward God. This will be an anti-God religion, the God of the Bible. And when we look at the culture around us, we can see the stage being set for this. There are many who are opposed to the teachings of God's Word and to God Himself. There is a growing sector in our country and in the world at large where they look upon the God of the Bible as something to stand against, to reject His teachings, His commandments, and to embrace what seems right in their own eyes. Now, look at the third verse of this passage. And notice the Word of God says this, "'And He carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness.'" And I saw a woman, now this is the same woman described as the great prostitute, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven horns, or seven heads and ten horns. Now, what we find as we come to this part of the passage is further identification of this one world religion described to us as a great prostitute. And what we're going to see is this, not only does this woman have an alliance with the kings of the earth, but this woman will also have an alliance, this one world religion, with the Antichrist. This beast that is described for us as having blasphemous names, as having seven heads and ten horns, we have found this identified earlier for us in our study in the book of Revelation. In the thirteenth chapter, the first verse, we saw the Antichrist identified in a very similar way. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems or crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. So this association between the Antichrist, the beast, and blasphemy is found throughout the book of Revelation. Now let's recap what blasphemy means. Blasphemy very simply means to speak evil against God. It is to cast God in the poorest of lights. It is to show contempt for Almighty God. It is to elevate oneself and to devalue God. This is what the Antichrist will do. And he will be a major player, and he will be one who forms an alliance with the One World Religion initially. He will use the one-world religion to accomplish His purposes. But then, as the Scripture goes on, we see this description in the fourth verse. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and with the impurities of her sexual immorality. Now, many have tried by the colors that are described here to associate this one world religion with any kind of religion that we have currently that employs some of these colors, and I think that that is wrong. We need to be careful not to shoehorn what we know right now into the time that is described here in the book of Revelation. We can look and we might see parallels, but we have to be careful not to dogmatically associate the one-world religion just with any particular religion that might have some of these colors in some of their liturgy. Let's do break this down, though, and try and understand what these colors represent. When we look in the Scripture, purple is often something that is associated with royalty, So, the idea is this woman will have a regal bearing, this one-world religion will have a political influence on the world. That is certainly a description that we see in many religions in history past, isn't it? The political relationship that a religion has to the politics of the day. Earlier we saw that the kings would be engaged in immorality with this woman. So the idea isn't too far afield when we look at this text. As far as the scarlet, that is something that is sometimes used to describe luxury. But I would submit to you that the beast is described as scarlet, the Antichrist, and part of the woman's apparel is described as scarlet. I would say to you that that is her identification with the Antichrist. She is wearing scarlet to identify with the Antichrist, the beast. That is a part of her agenda, a part of her purpose, to follow the beast in this manner. And here's the idea. This scarlet-dressed woman with the purple, with the scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Look as the description goes on to discuss that she is holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Now, what this is describing to us is she drinks from a goblet. And this goblet that she holds in her hands is full of, first of all, abominations. Now, what is an abomination? That is something that God looks upon and finds detestable. It is so contrary to who God is that He looks at it and He finds it utterly offensive. When we trace the idea of something that is an abomination to God through Scripture, we find either this is sin that is so gross it slaps the virtues and commandments of God right in the face, or... It is the full-on embrace of a religious system that stands opposed to God and draws people into their religious system, deceiving them and confusing them as to the truth. Certainly that's descriptive of what's going on here. You know, Paul said this in the book of Romans. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, now look at this, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Here's the idea. God created man to know Him, but man in his rebellion against God chose to go his own independent way and reject the God of the Bible. Man created his own God rather than recognizing the truth that we are creations of God. And in the creation of their own religious system, they rejected God. That is a picture of what's being described for us in the book of Revelation. From the fall of man until the book of Revelation, man has turned away from God and tried to design their own religion based on human works, based on pride, based on a rejection of the God who is. This will be the case during this time described here in the book of Revelation something else we see. This worldwide religion will promote the view of mystery Babylon. Now, what in the world do we mean by that? Look at verse 5. And on her forehead, now this again is the one world religion described as the great prostitute. On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. Now, when we look at this, it probably doesn't have that much meaning for us if you aren't a student of the book of Genesis and tracing the history of Babylon throughout history. Babylon was something that stood for opposition to God, the elevation of man, and the devaluation of God. Starting in the book of Genesis chapter 11, when man built the Tower of Babel on the plain of Shinar, They were standing against what God had commanded, and they were building a tower to reach the heavens in human effort rather than embracing what God had revealed. This one-world religion patterns itself after that thought process. It is a religion that elevates man. It is a religion that devalues God. And so as we look at this description as Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations, it is this whole mindset that has been a thread that has run throughout Scripture that seeks to reject God and elevate man. That is the core of every religion that has rejected God, and it will be the core of this one-world religion that will gain prominence in the last days. Notice what else we find as we look at this text. The Scripture goes on to say in verse 6 of this prostitute full of earth's abominations, "'I saw the woman drunk on the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus.'" This one-world religion will not only be opposed to God, but opposed to the people of God. During the tribulation, there will be many who will turn in faith to Jesus Christ, but the cost of their faith will be martyrdom. When we look throughout Scripture, we have seen religions designed by man who have persecuted the followers of God. But in what we see in the book of Revelation, this persecution will take on a whole new life and a whole new level. We can look at persecution even in our time in various countries and see the terrible persecution that Christians suffer. But during the time of the tribulation, that persecution will be worldwide, and it will be motivated By this one world religion that seeks to stamp it out. So then we come to the seventh verse. And as we come to the seventh verse, we see some prophetic explanations for the things that we've seen in the vision. So let's try and understand some of the things that are going to transpire because of this one world religion. First of all, we'll revisit the idea that there is a political uh, union that is between the one world religion, the rules of the earth, and the beast. Look at verse 7. In verse 7 it says this, "'But the angel said to me, "'Why do you marvel? "'I will tell you the mystery of the woman "'and the beast with seven heads and ten horns "'that carries her. "'The beast that you saw was and is "'and is about to rise.'" from the bottomless pit, and go to destruction. Now, we're going to pause there for a moment. We're going to identify what in the world does he mean by was, is, and all of that crazy language that we find here that frustrates people as they look into the book of Revelation. Well, listen, if we just saw this one reference in the text, we would be thoroughly confused. But what we find as we look earlier in the book of Revelation is there's going to be something that will cause the Antichrist who is already rising in prominence to come to a place to where everybody turns to Him and follows Him. And that event is a false resurrection. When we look in the Scripture, we find in chapter 13... This description of the Antichrist, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Now, the dragon is identified in Scripture as Satan. And what this text is telling us is that during this time of tribulation, there is going to be a following of the Antichrist, but then he will appear to die and be resurrected. This is only the language of appearance. It's a deception. And in this deception, what we find is this, that the people of the earth will buy in wholesale to the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, what we'll see is they transition from being in this one world religion to worshiping the beast and buy into Him as their God. So, this is something that is described for us here in chapter 17. What we find is this transition will take place, but initially there's going to be this alliance between the Antichrist and this false teacher. Then the text goes on. In verse 8, after it says, the beast was, is, and is about to rise, it's described as coming from the bottomless pit and going to destruction. Now, this going to destruction is the outcome of the Antichrist fighting against God and the ultimate defeat. We saw that in chapter 16. But what we find is the rising from the pit speaks of the spiritual power behind the Antichrist, and that is the forces of evil the forces of Satan, the demonic influences that will have a large part to play in the tribulation. And it says, the dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life found the foundation of the wor- from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Now, this is a warning to the followers of Christ. Don't fall for the false resurrection that the Antichrist will show the world. It's a falsehood to deceive people. Then look at verse 9. This calls for a mind of wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which they are seated. Now, we're going to pause here for a moment. This calls for wisdom. Listen, as we look in the Scripture, and particularly these Scriptures about the end times, these are complicated texts. You have to have a spirit of wisdom as you look into it. And when we look in Scripture, what is a spirit of wisdom? Wisdom begins with our perspective of God. You have to look to the one true God, fear Him, believe in Him, trust in Him to have any kind of wisdom at all. In order to understand all of the intricacies of this passage, you have to know God. You have to believe that He is in control, that He is bringing these things to pass. That requires wisdom. Now, what we find as we look at this further is, after He calls for this mind of wisdom, He goes on to describe something. He says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Now, many people have tried to describe this, and my goodness, I looked in five different commentaries, and they came up with seven or eight different explanations of what this means. Historically, Rome was said to have seven hills, but when you look a little further into the text, I don't think it's Rome. What I believe this is referring to are previous kingdoms. And when it says in this text, that the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. What it's saying is this this worldwide religion that rejects God has been a thread throughout the kingdoms of the earth. When we look historically, there were five great kingdoms before John there were the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo Persians, and the Greeks. So those would be five kingdoms that we can look at before John. John was living during one of those kingdoms, and that was Rome. So let's look at that in light of this text. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the one was seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. So that would be Egypt through Greece. The other one has not, or excuse me, one is, that would be Rome, and the other has not yet come. That will be the kingdom of the Antichrist, this final kingdom where Antichrist will rule the world. But notice it's described, but only for a little while. The Scripture is painting a picture of world history for us. These kingdoms that have come and gone and one that was during the time of John, but one that is coming. All of these kingdoms have one thing in common, their opposition to God. Persecution took place in each one of these kingdoms against the people of God. There was a rejection of God and the promotion of a religion that was man-made in each one of these kingdoms. So what the Scripture is telling us is the crescendo to world history will be the Antichrist's kingdom. That is the kingdom that is going to come that will last for only a while. Look at verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth but belongs to the seventh, and he goes to destruction. Now, once again, this is such a complicated part of the passage, but here's what I believe happens. The Antichrist is the seventh kingdom, but what happens to the Antichrist? He's gaining prominence, then there is the appearance of death, the appearance of a resurrection, and after the resurrection there's a whole new drive in His kingdom. It could be considered an eighth kingdom, if you will. The same person but two different aspects of his kingdom. First, the rise to prominence, seventh. Then the actual place of prominence, the eighth kingdom. This is what the Antichrist will be doing. Now, the Scripture goes on. It says, "In the ten cor- horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. Now, what this is describing is another group of nations that will join themselves with the Antichrist and will be in an alliance with him. And it goes on to say this, these are of one mind, verse 13, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, And the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Those with him are called and chosen and faithful. The reminder that the march forward for the followers of the Antichrist and the Antichrist himself is ultimately to do battle with the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns is brought out clearly in this passage of Scripture. There will be a worldwide alliance, arrayed against the returning Lord Jesus Christ. Then we look to this last part of this section. The Scripture goes on to say that with the Lord Jesus Christ will be those who are called and chosen and faithful. Fellow believers, we return with Christ. We reign with Christ when He establishes His kingdom on earth. We overcome the wicked as we return with Christ. That is a part of our inheritance, a part of the rich blessing we have in following Christ. Final part of the passage. As we come to verses 15 through 18, we see something stark that takes place. Verse 15 says this, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw were the peoples. Where the prostitute is seated are the peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast. who They and the beast will hate the prostitute. Now, what's going on here? This worldwide religion raises to prominence. But there will come a point during the tribulation when the Antichrist, the beast, no longer has a use for this one-world religion. Earlier in the book of Revelation, it was described that people will worship the beast and his image. I would submit to you that when people turn to worship the beast, the one-world religion that is described for us in this text will be rejected by the beast And since there is no longer a use for it, it will be wiped out. I find it intriguing that this one-world religion that has so steadily stood against God and the people of God will now experience the persecution that they visited upon the followers of God. When we look in Scripture, people are often punished in the same way that they have dispensed injustice, and that will certainly be the case for this one-world religion. It goes on to say in this text, and this is amazing when we come to this 17th verse, For God has put it in their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal authority or their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Now, when we look at this, we question, now, wait a minute. God is directing the events of earth even when there's so much evil that's taking place. How can that be? When we look in Scripture, what we find is this, God is greater than evil. And even when people are against God and the people of God and are committed to evil, God can take their evil and still overcome it To bring about His good. From the perspective of the followers of this false religion and then the followers of the Antichrist, they're all in for the false religion or the Antichrist. But as far as the purpose of God, God is so great He is able to overcome their evil and even include their evil to bring about His purpose and His plan. That's the promise of this passage of Scripture, and that's the wisdom that we need to have in looking at this. Final thought, verse 18, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Now, this great city, I believe, perhaps doesn't even describe an actual city, but an attitude that has stood against God throughout the history of man, that rejection of the God who is, and that embrace of that which stands opposed to God. All of this is coming. What do we do with the information that Revelation gives us? Let me tie it all up by saying this. Our thoughts and rational thinking will never bring us to the place to where we understand God's purpose and God's plan. We can have glimpses of that plan and they're revealed in God's Word. But there are elements of it that we'll never understand because God is beyond human reason. Any religion that elevates human reason above the revelation of God, God's truth, is a religion that will ultimately reject God and pursue their own course. God wants us to know Him by the revelation that He's given us, the Word of God. So, the encouragement that I have for us as believers is this. Don't make your judgments on majorities and numbers and trends what's hot during the day, what many deem to be that which you should follow. Follow the path that God has for you. And that path begins with knowing Him. We know God not by human effort, not by a religion that is the hot religion of the day, We know God by looking to what He has shared in His eternal Word, that we are sinners, and that as sinners we need to know a holy God. The only way I can know a holy God when I'm a sinner is to have my sin forgiven. Our sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. By accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, knowing that He died on the cross to pay for our sins, is the only way we will have right standing with God. Any religion that is apart from that truth is a religion that stands opposed to the revelation of God. So, our belief has to be rooted in the truth of who God is and what He has revealed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. We recognize that it's very complex, but Lord, we also recognize that it is a glimpse into the future. Oh, Lord, I pray that we will be wise in the way that we approach what we seek to follow. Not a wisdom that is based in popularity or trends of the day, but a faith that is based on what you have told us in your eternal word. Guide us and direct us by your Spirit, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.